Coming to the next part of our series in the battlefield of the mind, uh, the first few weeks we looked at how our thoughts and our feelings and our fears could affect our mental health. And then we looked at some of the things that God spoke in his word to help us with our minds, such as in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, about the sound mind that God uh, gives us and how he renews us by the transforming of our mind. But with these last few weeks, left that we've got of this series. I want to try and give uh, some help as to how we can deal sometimes with some of the stuff that we're facing when it involves uh, the mind. And one of the books that is good to go to in the Bible to help us is the book of Psalms, because a lot of the Psalms are written uh, from a personal experience, from people's personal experience of what they're going through at that particular moment in time. And when where they find God and how they find God and where they look for hope and how they find hope and, and this message uh, this morning is very relevant uh, for, for what's going on at the moment as we talk about hope. Uh, I think Reese mentioned last Sunday in his Easter sermon where he said you know where you find God you find hope where there is God there is hope and that is so true uh, and, and so we're looking then this morning really at how hope fits in in the battlefield of the mind and we're going to be looking at Psalm uh, 43. Uh, this psalm is one of those psalms for those moments when people don't feel like singing, to be honest with you. Those low moments that people will go through in their life. It's a psalm of faith uh, for those uh, cold nights when one doesn't feel the flames of faith flickering, as somebody said. Um, and it's that sort of psalm. It's a psalm for those times when one feels separate from God, because often there are times uh, that we feel God is silent, but God is never absent. He may be silent, but he's never absent. And so these five verses help us this morning because uh, the writer helps us to understand what do we do when we lose all hope? What do we do when we feel uh, there is no hope, when we feel as we are in despair and in five verses he helps us with some practical stuff that we can do uh, today so psalm begins psalm 43 begins with vindicate me my god plead my cause against an unfaithful nation rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked you are god my stronghold why have you rejected me why must i go about mourning oppressed by the enemy send me your light and your truth let them lead me let them bring me to your holy mountain to the place where you dwell then i will go to the altar of god to guard my joy and my delight i will praise you with the la O god my god why my soul are you downcast why so disturbed within me put your hope in god for i will yet praise him my savior and my God. We can see just some of the situations and the circumstances that the writer of this psalm is going through at the moment. He feels attacked on uh, many different sides. Uh, he feels as though the deceitful and the wicked are the ones that are ruining him. Uh, it looks as though they are the ones that are winning. And he simply asks God some questions, as people do when they are in a difficult place, when they feel as though there is trouble all around them. He begins to ask some questions. Uh, but he, in verse 5, he really comes to this point of what's going on inside of him because he says, he says, why is my soul, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? He asks some questions. It's always good to ask questions. 
It's always good to ask God questions, particularly in the things that we're going through. We come and ask God the why questions, and the writer does that here. He follows on from the previous psalm when he asks God, why have you forgotten me? He picks it up again here in verse 2 when he says, why have you rejected me? Uh, and then he continues on when he says, why must I go about mourning? And he looks at it and he sees the circumstances and the situations. And we must understand that asking questions of God are not always a sign of weak faith or an absent faith. It's rather a sign of honest faith that actually when things are happening and we don't understand them and we don't know what is going on, it is appropriate to come to God to ask them why questions actually such questions are often typical of a person who is enduring in that journey of faith who is walking with God that they haven't lost their trust in God they haven't lost their faith in God but there are some things that are happening that sometimes just cause people just to simply say well why well, why is this happening? Why is this uh, going on? And uh, such challenges to God should not be understood as, as a lack of faith or a doubt or unbelief, but actually a mark of true biblical faith. That simply here in this psalm, the writer is just simply saying, this stuff is going on. I'm asking God why it's going on. There's a wonderful journey that the writer goes on in this psalm because it's something we can all relate to because the psalm opens up with complaint. He simply complains. Now, complaining is not always going on about all the things that you don't like, all the things that you feel are wrong. There's a difference between complaining and moaning. Right? Complaining is, that I, I, I'm unhappy with what's going on, why is this happening? And that moaning is just moaning, just going on about anything and everything just because you're grumpy and unhappy. That's usually what moaning is. Some of you will relate to that. <laughs> and anyway... <laughs> I will relate to that as well. I'm sure my family will tell you I could be grumpy. But anyway, as we come back to this, what we're looking at is this. He goes on a journey. He goes on a journey of complaining, of asking the why questions. But then he moves to this petition where he simply knows that actually he's asking God the why questions, but then he's moving to petition because he suddenly realized that actually the only way out of this is a discovery of God, is simply finding my answers in God. But he moves then from complaint to petition to hope, to moves to hope, and he finishes with hope. And no matter what it is that we are going through, and no matter what it is that is happening, no matter what it is that's troubling us inside, we, inside, we have to follow that journey. And often we move from complaint, so we move to petition, but then we're moved to hope. You see, the writer here wonders why God does not do things according to his thinking. And that is something we can all relate to. Because even as believers, we often think, if God would just do this, this would make me happy, this would make my life complete. It's almost like we can give God the answers for the challenges and the difficulties that we are going through. That of all the stuff that's happening, if God, you would just listen to me, and I will be able to give you the answers as to what's happening in my life. But we know that that's not actually correct. We know that that's what we would like to happen. Uh, and we would look at it and think, God, if you would just do this, then it would be sorted. But though he's faced with many questions, doubts, and fears, what he realizes is this. It's not his circumstances that need to change, but his attitude. 
And how true of that is, of, is that of us when we face difficulties and challenges and things that are going on? He says, we look at it and say, if only my circumstances would change. And God often challenges us and says, it's not your circumstances that need to change, it's your attitude to the circumstances. But once he's complained about it, once he's presented his petition to God, God takes him on a journey in a sense and answers the questions that he has. Because he, he asks God for two things in his petition. He asks for, the first one is light. When you are in the dark, the thing you need more than anything is light. It'll not matter what anybody else gives you if you're in the dark. The only story I could remember to illustrate this was being a young person a long time ago on a camp in the Lake District in England, sharing a dormitory with seven or eight other fellas who we'd all come away from a youth club in Birmingham. I remember needing to get up in the middle of the night to find, use the bathroom, but it was pitch black. I was in an unknown place. I, I was looking for the light, but I thought if I turn the light on, I'm going to get battered by the other seven fellas in the room. And I remember trying to feel my way around in the dark, uh, grabbing mattresses and duvets and other things because I could not find the lights. I could not find the door that I needed to get out of to use the bathroom. So I ended up, in a sense, using my hands to feel like it was, it's that moment in life when I remember everything being as physically dark as you could imagine that absolute darkness, blackness, you could not see anything. There wasn't a flicker of light anywhere. And it made me think of this, that when you are in the dark, the thing you need more than anything is light. And it doesn't matter if it's pitch black and somebody just strikes a match. He says that little bit of light makes all the difference. And you see, the reason he asked for light here, because the physical light helps physical eyes see the physical reality. But that's not what God is trying to give him here. God is trying to give him this. God is trying to give him spiritual light, which does the same. The word for spiritual light is revelation. It's in physical light helps physical eyes see the physical reality of everything that goes on, that we can see what's happening. Spiritual light does exactly the same. It's called revelation. God wants to reveal to him actually what's happening, what's going on, the future for him, and so he reveals it. But he does it for this reason. As I thought about this, uh, for us, he then asks for truth, which is the second thing he asks for. Why? Because light reveals but truth explains and that's so true isn't it the light reveals something but truth explains and that's why he asked for those two things he didn't just ask for light just to guide him to show him the way to go he asked for truth as well we can see it there in verse 3 he wanted to simply be led he asked to submit to the light of God's guidance and simply the truth of his word but where does he want led to it has to be led somewhere well, he gives his petition again, doesn't he? Once he's asked for light and once he's asked for truth, it leads him, he says, to God's holy mountain, the meeting place where God dwells. His prayer in these five verses, as I've said, moves from complaint to petition to hope. Even though he begins the psalm and he's discouraged, he's distressed and he's depressed. 
God gives him a process to help him out in a sense of the way that he is feeling. He is receiving revelation from God because he's prayed and asked the why question. So God gives him that revelation. Uh, and you see, today, many of us experience seasons of crisis. Even in our culture, we suggest that we depend on ourselves for the answers, that we look for the answers within. If this can be changed about ourselves, if we can just do this. But here, the result, when we see here, is God revealing into him what he's actually doing in his life. Because this hope rests in this divine initiative, this journey that God is taking him on. Because the writer simply does this. He has a desire to be surrounded by community, by the believing and worshipping people. He actually asked, in a sense, this is where I want to go. Let your light and your truth lead me to here. You see, the return to corporate worship in the sanctuary of God's presence is in the hearts of every believer and has been for many years. It's so important that our church is open. It's so important that our places, that our people have a place to come to. I've consistently heard um, to the point, uh, I don't want to hear it again, so don't say it to me. Over the last year, the people say, well, the church is not the building, it's the people. Well, I know that. I went to Bible college three years <laughs> in 1994. And, and I know that. And people have said that. But the building is essential. And whether we like it, we can't escape from that. And this psalm taught me that because this psalm teaches me there's lots of people at the moment. And when we talk about our mental health, we're talking about people who are feeling isolated and abandoned. And we're talking about people who feel alone. And the church provides a physical presence. It says it provides a physical presence as a sanctuary of safety and comfort, but also a temple to worship God in and a community of redeemed believers to gather together as we are this morning. We must not underestimate the power of the church meeting together. We must not underestimate the opportunity that we have when these doors open to do church. I know the church is not the building. I know that. I know the church is the people. But the people meet somewhere. They meet in the building of the church. It's a provision of what God has given because even here the writer says he knew that when he got to the temple or the dwelling place of God as he called it he knew this he knew that God was there in a special way he knew that God's people was there and it was also a place he knew he could focus on God see we're asking the question this morning of how does one find hope how does one find hope in the distress of what is going on within their mind you have to help people out of their distress you have to help people out of the stuff that's going on with them we have to provide hope where do we provide hope the message of Jesus Christ provides hope but also the church provides hope as well because the church was Jesus's idea and you see here it comes to the point where he realises that what he needs is to find people that are going to be there to worship God together with him, a dwelling place that is going to provide encouragement and hope and challenge. And it also, as I spoke on a couple of weeks ago, it provides him with the altar where he needs to come and surrender. Because whenever you come and surrender, there is transformation of what God wants to do in your life. 
You see, this writer here is looking for these things. He asks for the light, he asks for the truth, and it leads him to God's house. You see, there was a change going on in his mind here. Uh, and we see this, uh, the psalmist paused from the painful memory to challenge his own soul. In five verses, he moves from the distress that he's under of finding out why God, why is this happening? Why is this going on, God? And God moves him on that journey and suddenly he's challenging his own soul. He says, why am I feeling so downcast? Why am I feeling so distressed? Uh, and so he's challenging his own soul to begin with. And then the second thing we see he does, he doesn't surrender to his feelings of spiritual depression and discouragement. He's looking for an answer. And there's nothing wrong with looking for the answer. We, we said way back in the first week, the, the wonderful thing about Jesus is he loves us as we are. Not as we should be, not as we want to be, not as we're going to be in the future. He loves us as we are. So whatever point we are at this morning in discouragement or distress or even depression, that's the point that he meets us at. That's the point he comes in and he grants us hope and he gives us hope. You see, I love what he does here. He said to those cast down and disquieted feelings, hope in God. He will come through again because he has before. And I thought, well, why is he talking to himself? If you've ever heard the quote that talking to yourself is the first sign of madness, you know, maybe not talking to yourself is a thing, but actually he's, not, he's encouraging himself. He's actually speaking to the way that he feels, his circumstances and his situations. He's almost trying, I mean, I heard it like this. I mean, listen, I always talk to myself because I need expert advice. So I always do that. But you see, what he does here is this, is he speaks to himself because he's trying to encourage himself by what God has already told him is going to happen. You see, this thought of he speaks to God and then speaks to himself helps us today with this one thought. And if you only remember this, this is the thought I want you to remember. Listen, pray to God and then preach to yourself. Pray to God and then preach to yourself. It says in your circumstances and situations, in your situation where you may be downcast and distressed, he said, listen, encourage yourself. It's biblical. It says in 1 Samuel 30, it says the, the, the enemy had come in and taken all the wives and the children away. And they were going to kill David. They said, well, we went out and fight the battle for you, but they've stolen all our wives and children and all of that. And it says, it says David encouraged himself in the Lord. There wasn't anybody around him to come and put their arm around him and say, brother, let me pray for you. Let me lift it. He encouraged himself in the Lord. In our situations and the circumstances that we face, there is nothing wrong with praying to God and then preaching to ourselves. Memorizing scripture and speaking it over yourself in your difficult situations and circumstances is what this writer is doing here because he gives him hope in God. Out of everything else that we can do, the word of God is alive and changing us. A few years ago, he says, in the middle of the night, every night for a couple of weeks, I would wake up in the middle of the night at the same time and I'd be gripped by this fear 
be gripped by this fear of, of what was going on with a particular situation. And I remembered myself, thinking to myself, I thought, I began to pray and didn't quite sort of feel the, that, that pressure lifting in a sense. But then I began to quote scripture because the situation that I was in, I was fearful of. And it was a verse that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and self-control. And I just kept saying that whenever I felt fearful about a situation, this situation, I simply kept repeating the power of the word of God. He says, that's all he is doing here. You see, we can pray to God, but we preach to ourselves. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Uh, he's asking the question of himself. Why am I so distressed within me? But then he speaks to himself by saying almost this put your hope in God put your hope in God that's me talking to myself just in case uh, you didn't know put your hope in God and he says that's what he's doing he says rather than waiting for the pastor or the preacher to give him an encouraging word on a Sunday or to send a text message through he takes responsibility for it and he says in his distressed place in his mind where things are difficult and challenging. He takes the word of God that's alive and uses its power and says, you know what, I am a bit downcast, I am a bit distressed, but I'm going to put my hope in God. I'm going to pray to God, but I'm going to preach to myself. So why, why, what verses? I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. See, we have ignored sometimes in the battle that we are facing the power of the word of God because sometimes we would rather find something on the God channel or YouTube or a podcast or what somebody else says and we often revert to the Lord's word the Bible as the last thing when it should be the first thing because it's that that God gives us hope and helps us and encourages us and strengthens us. You see, he had hope of God's redemption, the writer, but it hadn't come yet. But what he did was this, he did not surrender to his own feelings. He did not surrender to his fears and he did not surrender to his thoughts. He actually said here, he says, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna praise him. I'm gonna praise him. He says, actually, regardless of my circumstances, I'm going to praise. You see, we no longer offer animal sacrifices anymore, but Hebrews 13, verse 15 says this, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lip, giving thanks to his name. Someone once said this, it says, praise and worship is as real as it gets when you don't feel like praising and worshiping. It says that's the reality of it. When you feel you've got nothing to praise God about, that's exactly the time you praise God. When you feel as though you don't want to lift your hands to give thanks to him for anything, that's exactly the time that you should do it. This is exactly what he does here. Why does he do it here? Because for this reason, praise will always lead you to hope because it's the last thing that he does you see we praise God for what he has done but we worship him for who he is he speaks to his downcast soul he speaks to his disquieted feelings and he simply says this hope in God the wonderful thing about God he will faithfully answer again as he has before we said this in the prayer meeting recently how do we know God answers prayers today 
Well, he answered prayers yesterday. And actually the prayers that he answered yesterday are the foundation of his answered prayers today. You see, the foundation of his answered prayers for tomorrow are the prayers that he answered today. How do we know we can hope in God? Because he's faithful. Because he is faithful. It's a word that we've been singing in the song this morning. You see, hope is not wishful thinking. It's a confident expectation that we speak to ourselves that God is coming through for us, that God will come through for us. Hope produces that joy and peace in our lives because it's so closely linked to faith and trust. It's the confidence that we can have in God's promises. That's why praise will always lead you to hope. You may not feel hopeful when you begin to start praising, but I guarantee this, you will feel hopeful at the end of the time that you praise God. You may not feel like it at the start, but by the time you finish, you will definitely be feeling hopeful because of what God has promised you that he's going to do. That verse in Hebrews 10, verse 23 that was mentioned last week, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. We're not faithful. He is faithful. We can hold unswervingly to that hope because it's him that has promised. And so we wait patiently and endure to worship him in the waiting. It's in the battlefield of our mind today. He says we're encouraged to do this, to pray to God, but to preach to ourselves. To actually ask yourself, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are you so distressed within me? And he doesn't stop there. He then speaks to himself and says, hoping God, praise him. Almost you could see him saying it to himself, in a sense to, to build himself up, to say, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situations, we can still hope in God. People have asked me this week, what are we going to do as a church with all this going on in the community at the moment? So what we're going to do, we're going to do exactly what we've always done, which is we're going to meet together as a church, we're going to praise God and worship him, we're going to pray for the community, we're going to believe that people are going to get saved as they have done, and they're going to come in through the doors of the church one by one because we prayed for them, somebody has witnessed to them, God has moved upon them, and they've got saved. And we will continue to do that because all of that's going on out there will stop and start and stop and start it says we will be consistent in what we're supposed to do and we must do that why because we are hoping in God because the politicians don't have the answers the community workers don't have the answers throwing another 10 million pound at it like the newspapers said this morning is not the answer the answer is simply this we hope in God God will make the difference God will change people's lives as he has changed people's lives we're coming in here this morning because we believe he has changed our lives and he will change the lives of everybody and anybody out there who simply wants to come to get to know him the truth is three words today what do we do we hope in God it says finding a hard hope in God waiting for an answer three words hope in God let us come and pray father we thank you for your word Father, we're reminded in a different way the challenge today. That even though we can feel downcast and feel distressed at times, the answer we discover as we read your word is to simply hope in God. Why? Because God, you have the answers, the solutions. The Father God, we can look and we can see how bad it is. We can look 
and feel despairing at the world outside. But Father, we choose not to do that. We choose to look in here because Father, we know that you change lives. And Father, above all else, in you changing lives, you change communities. Father, we thank you for the changed lives of people in this place today. And God, as we come before you, though Father, we feel held in a sense by despair, though often at times we feel held back because we're distressed by things. God, we can come to you. And Father, we begin to praise. But so we do not feel like praising at the beginning. We know after we've spent time praising you, that at the end, it will lead us to hope. And Father, we put our hope in you today. Hope in God. We thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen.